Hello, I'm Willie George. I want to welcome you to this edition of the Faith Roots Podcast. We're talking about how to see those hidden opportunities. And I want to turn you to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where the Apostle Paul talks in depth about this. He says, beginning in verse 19, he said, For though I am free from all men, yet have I made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. I want to talk about that wording for just a second. Paul said, I have made myself a servant. Do you know that making yourself a servant it doesn't come naturally? And, and here's, here's what happens. Paul said, though I'm free. We're free in Christ. We are no longer in bondage to any person when we receive Jesus Christ, even though you may not own your own freedom. And Paul wrote to many people who didn't. He told them still they were free in Christ, that they, they, they had a choice. And, and so Paul said, I am, I am free to serve God. And I'm free from all men when I do serve God. But he says, but I choose to make myself a servant that I might win the more. And most people don't want to do that. Paul said, I'm choosing to become a servant. He said, to the Jews, I become a Jew that I might win the Jews. And that was easier for Paul because he grew up a Jew. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. So Paul did not go into a synagogue and purposely try to offend people uh, with terms and statements that he knew would rub them raw. He didn't do that. To those that are without law, he knew how to talk to Gentiles. As without law, not being without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this is what he said, I do this for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker of it with you. In other words... Paul said, I learned how to identify with my audience. And you know, identifying with your audience is, is serving your audience, and it is a way that you win and gain people. Now, we got into this in, in our last podcast where I talked about in 1995, how that I went after teenagers and I thought when I was going after those teenagers that I was saving them. That's what I thought. I, I thought, I'm, I'm going to go after these young people. They need my help. I'm going to invest in them. I had compassion on them. And so I developed a ministry around them. Now, the more we developed that ministry, and the more mature it became, the more leadership rose up within that ministry. And we developed a whole team of exciting young leaders who were amazing in our church. They changed our church forever. It was incredible what they were able to do. And uh, in the beginning, they ran the youth program. It got to the point where I could back off, and, and they were running the show. And they understood what to do to reach those kids, and they, they, they recruited other kids, and they trained them, and it was amazing what happened. Uh, fast forward about 25 years, and this happened just last year. I walked into a senior staff meeting I'm uh, the founding pastor, but I'm not in full-time ministry at Church on the Move anymore. So I walked into a, a business meeting with our leading pastors, and I went in, and, and they waved me on in. They saw me looking in the window, so they waved me into the room. I, I went in and spoke with them for just a little bit, and uh, I, I couldn't help but notice as I looked around the room, 180, 180, 180, 180, 180, 180, all over the room were these young men and women 
who grew up in our youth ministry who had become the leaders of our church. And then it hit me. I didn't save them. They saved me. Because they have enabled me to do some things in the end of my life, in the latter years of my life, that I would never have been able to do. They took a load from me that I needed somebody to take. And they have given a future to Church on the Move that's just incredible. That doesn't mean I don't have a place, but it means that they are the ones who are carrying the heavy load. They're the ones doing the heavy lifting. And it all started by me going after a group of people that I thought needed me. They did need me at that time, but I didn't know that I needed them. You know, I think it's important here to talk about this spiritual law, and it's called the law of double release. And it'll change the way you think about how you serve people. Um, When you understand this, you will quit apologizing for asking people to help you in ministry. First of all, if you realize how much Jesus is going to reward the people who serve in your church, you will never again be the least bit bashful about asking someone to help you because they're going to get paid way more than $1,000 an hour. I can tell you that. They are going to grab you when they get their reward in heaven and hug your neck and thank you for pressing them into service, for taking away their weekends, for getting them to volunteer, for putting them into a place of service. They're going to be ever grateful to you. They, they, they do not know, they, they don't even begin to know how they're going to be paid back for what it is that they do. They may think they're giving up this or that. They're giving up nothing. And when you understand that, it helps you to approach people from a place of strength because this is an honorable thing we do. This is something we get to do. It's not something we have to do. Now, the first thing that Jesus did, and this is fascinating to me, the first thing that he did is when he begins his earthly ministry, he begins to recruit people. And the people that he recruits are nobodies. I mean, the Bible says they were ignorant and unlearned men. <laughs> and, and, and they were not the most polished people. They didn't speak with, the, with, with great eloquence. They, the, in fact, later on, a guy like the Apostle Paul comes along and would really represent the Lord well. But those first 12 didn't. They were pretty common guys. And they, they, they were not the most well-trained when they started. This is who he started with. And so he took them on, and I'm telling you, there had to be times when they were a burden. There had to be times when they were arguing with each other and they were disputing about who among them would be the greatest. Uh, They even got so far as to say to Jesus, uh, it was Peter who did this, you don't have to go to the cross. I mean, you you talk about throwing a stumbling block in the path. They, They did that over and again. But when the time came for Jesus to die on the cross, rise from the dead, and 40 days later he ascends into heaven, he turns it all over to them. And they've only been in service, most of them, for a little over three years. There may have been some who had almost three and a half, but most of them just three years of training. And the whole of the church was, was hanging by this little thread 
And But God knew what he had. And I'm going to tell you something. Jesus released them fully into their ministries. He did it gradually. He let them go out and do a little preaching on their own. But eventually he released them totally. Now, let me talk to you about this double release business. When Jesus released them at the ascension, they released him. Because Jesus had another ministry to go to. And the the ministry that Jesus went to is the ministry he's been in ever since. This ministry that he's in now, he's been in it for 2,000 years. Do you think that Jesus is in heaven doing nothing? Jesus is the head of the church. Do you realize that every call, every assignment, every missionary, every Sunday school teacher, every deacon, every pastor, everybody who serves in the kingdom of God and the church of Jesus Christ is called by the head of the church. That's Jesus. He is calling and supervising and directing people, putting things into them by the Holy Spirit. He's doing that. He is leading churches. He's giving plans and strategies. Jesus is giving. It's not the Holy Spirit may be passing things on, but it's Jesus who is directing pastors as to whether or not to pursue a building program, whether or not to pursue a certain type of building program, or whether this is too much money or not enough money. Uh, That's what Jesus is doing. Uh, He is the high priest of this new covenant that we're in. He is our mediator, the mediator of our covenant. He, uh, he appeals to God on our behalf. He agrees in prayer with us. I mean, it's unreal what all Jesus does today in heaven. And that's a job. Don't think for a minute that he's up there just kicking back and relaxing because he's not. He has a real job. But think of this for a minute. If, if it isn't for those 12 guys, Jesus can't go. So he releases them. But you know what they did? They released him. In effect, they're saying, we got this, we've got it, we've got it, we, we take this on, we've got this right here. And when they took that on, you see a marked difference in them. I mean, look at Peter through the passion of Christ and look at him you know, 50, 60 days later on the day of Pentecost. Look at him and see the difference in him. When they begin to carry the assignment, when they have been released and they've released him, their behavior totally changes. Their sense of responsibility totally changes. They get it. So there is this principle of the double release. Now this is hidden. It is absolutely hidden. Most people walk right past this, never see it, never realize it's there. God hides these amazing opportunities from us. Because, we, and you know, I have a pastor friend and, and uh, he came up under another pastor and that older pastor looked at him one day and said, John, to me, you're still the 25-year-old kid that I trained all those years ago. And John has grown amazingly since the time that he entered ministry. But you know what the problem is? This founding pastor, senior pastor, He doesn't see those gifts. He will not let John become everything John is supposed to be. John has developed into a wonderful pastor himself. He's amazing. Now, I didn't know him when he was young, so today when I meet him, I see a stud. But apparently the guy who trained him up doesn't see him that way. And that's what happens when we fail to release, when we don't see with the eyes of faith. Not only, not only 
Do we fail to see what God is doing in us, but we fail to see what God wants to do and is doing in other people? And so God's plans are hidden. You have to have spiritual eyes to see them. Hmm. Let me tell you how natural people think. This has been, oh gosh, 35, 40 years ago. I was exploding in children's ministry. You, you know why I was exploding in children's ministry? It is because I was willing to take care of the kids in all those big camp meetings. And I would do three services a day, six days a week, three to four hours every service. I, the first time I did it in 1978, my very first camp meeting, I kept track of this. I preached and taught and was in the pulpit for 62 hours in a week. I couldn't, I couldn't talk after that week was over. I was, my voice was gone. And I spent more time in one week with a group of kids than what they did in Sunday school for a whole year. And so I got invited because I made the most of those times. And I, I, I learned and I adjusted. I made them better and better and better. And people would have me come to their conventions. And I know in the beginning a lot of guys had me just because I was a glorified babysitter. I know that. But I also knew that if I was going to become known as an expert in the ministry to children, I was going to have to get out there and prove myself where the doors were open. So I went to all of these camp meetings and conventions, and I went all the time. I developed several teams. I remember in one particular summer, the Lord told me, take every camp meeting that is offered to you. So I had two to three able teams, and I told the leaders now, I said, I will be at your camp meeting at least half of that week. And on the bigger ones, I was there for the whole week. But some of the smaller ones, I would have a team come in. I would cover all of those services, and we had very good ministry. My people were very, very good. But I would always show up and be there too. And so we would have a wonderful time that week. And that, that summer, I put 100,000 names on my mailing list. It was amazing how many kids I connected with that summer. And we reached a lot of people. That helped me developed my TV program called The Gospel Bill Show. It was something I absolutely had to have, that kind of interaction and involvement and people helping me get it up and going. Uh, but I got it through serving. And during that time, there was a fellow children's minister who came to me and said, Willie, I would give anything to have your contacts. And I thought, man, you do not get this. He said, is there any way you could give me some of your contacts? And I said to him, it's not about who I know. It's about what I do when I'm with people. That's what makes the difference. What I do when I'm with people is what makes this whole thing work. They know that I am coming to serve their children. That's what they know. And that's why God has blessed my ministry like he has. It has nothing to do with me just lucking into meeting the right people. It had nothing to do with that at all. So get your eyes off these great connections and knowing this person or that person. And, and, and I'll tell you how you can spot a person who thinks that way. They're name droppers because they will always mention the names of all the famous people or so-called important people that they've had something to do with. And you don't want to be a name dropper. Rejoice in being around the most humble of people. 
rejoicing, being around kids. I'm telling you, God has something great for people who are willing to put aside their pride and serve. Thank you very much.